Welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. And here's the queen herself, registered dietitian Heather Klug. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. My name's Heather Klug. I'm the registered dietitian with the Karen Yance Cardiac Awareness Center. With me today is Bethany DeBrew Adams, our health communications coordinator. Hello, Bethany. Hello, Heather. All right, everybody, it's March, and it's National Nutrition Month, so we, yay, we thought it would be fitting to discuss the new 2020 to 2025 U.S. Dietary Guidelines for Americans, what they are, what's changed, and what hasn't changed. All right, and there's a lot of information here, so we're going to dive right in. So, Heather, can you talk a little bit about what these U.S. Dietary Guidelines are and Quite frankly, why should I care? (laughs) You should care a lot, (laughs) Bethany. (laughs) All right, the U.S. Dietary Guidelines started in 1980, and they get updated every five years, and this is based on new research. All right, so they are science-based. They offer guidance on what to eat and to promote health, to meet nutrient needs, and to reduce risk of chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. We're very happy about that part. Yes. So preventing things like heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and some cancers. I think most people know that what we choose to eat and drink can have a very profound impact on our health yeah. and also our wallets. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and research backs this up. Eating healthy is one of the best ways to get healthy and stay healthy as well as to reduce risk for chronic diseases throughout your whole life. Now, along with health professionals like me to communicate these recommendations to the general public, the U.S. Dietary Guidelines are also used to develop, implement, and evaluate federal food, nutrition, and health policies and programs. Sure. Okay? So this affects lots of different people. So it affects state and local governments, schools, community groups, the food industry, and the media. Basically, anyone involved in developing and implementing policy and programs and communicating this information to the public. So that includes me, too. Yes, it does. So you should care about these, Bethany. I do care. (laughs) I just want want to say that I do care. (laughs) So thanks for all of that background information. That's always good to know. And it sounds like the whole purpose of these guidelines is mainly about promoting good health and preventing disease rather than trying to rectify disease with food. That's something else entirely. Yeah, absolutely correct. So I want to point out that because the focus is on preventing disease in the first place, the U.S. Dietary Guidelines aren't meant for treating chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. They are meant for healthy individuals and those at risk for developing chronic health problems such as heart disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and cancer. Not that I want to discourage anyone from following the U.S. Dietary Guidelines (laughs) if they have any of those issues already. Because really, everyone can benefit from following a healthy dietary pattern. But if you already have a chronic disease, there may be very specific dietary guidelines you have to follow. And these should be discussed with your doctor or a dietitian that specializes in those conditions. Right. And we see that sometimes here at the center where we'll have somebody come in and they have a very specific request. And that's something that it's kind of like, okay, we need to address that in a different way. It's not just a general eating healthy. So this is all good information to know. 
But before we get into the updates or the changes that have been made this time, can you share with our listeners what hasn't changed? Yeah, three big picture things haven't changed. The first is an emphasis on following an overall healthy dietary pattern rather than focusing on individual nutrients. Okay. Okay. It's what we eat over the course of weeks, months, and years. Right. That makes a big difference in our health, not a single day. Right. So all of the people who think that they derail their healthy diet with one meal, not so much. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The second thing that hasn't changed is the focus on eating mostly nutrient-dense foods. I talk about these all the time. Yes. Vegetables, fruit, whole grains, legumes, Low-fat and fat-free dairy products, lean protein foods like poultry and fish and eggs and healthy fats like olive oil, nuts, and seeds. Yes. Yes. The third thing that has not changed is portion control. (gasps) Shocking. (laughs) Right. Eating sensible portions and balancing this with physical activity has always been recommended. So now I'm going to ask about the foods that everybody really wants to know about, and those are the ones that we're supposed to limit. So added sugar, saturated fat, sodium, alcohol, did anything change with those? That is a great question, Bethany. Thank you. So advice on added sugar, saturated fat, sodium, and alcohol did not change. Interesting. Yeah. Despite recommendations from the advisory committee to decrease added sugars further, yeah, as well as to decrease alcohol intake for men. So does that mean there was some controversy going on? Yeah, that's an understatement. So there definitely was some controversy surrounding these two things. Now, I agree with the advisory committee, especially on decreasing added sugar intake. Right now, it's at 10% of calories, and the committee said, hey, we should cut this down to 6% of calories. Yeah. That's significant. It is. Currently, all Americans, though, and especially children ages 4 to 18, are consuming way too many added sugars. The average intake is 13% of calories. Coming okay. from added sugars. Which so, is way over that. Well, it's even over threshold. the 10%. <laughs> yeah, the right? high threshold. So I think, I don't, I think the thinking was hey, we need to at least get people under 10. If we tell them to cut way back down to 6%. You know, people might see that as too strange. Forget it. Yeah, like, no, that's too hard. I can't do that kind of deal. I can understand that. So what do you recommend people do in this case? Yeah, if you consume many foods and beverages high in added sugars, I would decrease this as much as you can. Now, I go by the recommendations from the American Heart Association because they're easier to understand and follow. Okay. Their recommendations are listed in grams. And that is listed on food labels. So I just think that's easier rather than percentage of calories because who's going to do all the math for that? Not me. You'd have to know your (laughs) calorie level and is that within the percentage and all of that, Right. right? Now, the other way you could think about this, just to visualize it, is in terms of teaspoons. And just so everybody knows, a teaspoon of added sugar equals four grams. Okay. So when you see that on the food label, you can kind of, again, visualize that a little bit. But here are the recommended amounts. So for children, it's under 25 grams per day. All right. Okay, a little over six teaspoons. And this is one thing that the U.S. Dietary Guidelines did actually add. 
So for any children under the age of two, mm-hmm. no added sugars. Oh, okay. Maybe on their first birthday or something. You they're a little have bit a little of cake. But yeah, but they're not really supposed to be eating this day after day after day. Right. Right? We shouldn't be feeding babies cookies and they hardly candy. They have teeth. How are they going to eat any of that? <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> Um, anyway, women, the goal is under 24 grams per day. Mm-hmm. And then men get a little more leeway. Of course. Yeah. Well, their calorie needs are a little higher. But under 36 grams per day for men. Okay. Okay. So where do you recommend people start with decreasing added sugars? Because I think people hear this and go, Ugh, this is too hard. Forget it. I don't. I can't even bother with this. Yeah, well, if you haven't been doing it, I would highly recommend you start looking at food labels to see how much you actually are taking it's in. It's a little eye-opening. It's very eye-opening because, <laughs> you know, they'll stick sugar in things that you normally wouldn't think it's even in, things right. that are more savory. And they do that with sodium, too, kind of on yep. the flip. Yep, they do. And then the really good places to start then are with decreasing sugary beverages. Okay. Right? Probably no surprise there. And then desserts and sweet snacks are the other big places because these are the two big categories. There are top sources of added sugars. If you're adding your own sugar to things like Mm -hmm. coffee or cereal or if you bake, use the least amount of sugar possible. Okay. Okay. Another option is to gradually wean yourself down over many weeks if that's more doable than a drastic cut. Sure. My very first podcast was called Tame the Sweet Tooth. And I discuss this topic in greater detail. So if you'd like more information, please listen to that episode. It was my very first episode <laughs> and before Bethany joined me on the podcast. So think kind thoughts as you're listening. It was, it was a little, <laughs> we'd say raw. It's a little sure, raw. Sure, sure. It's my first one, okay? All right. But I think there's still good information in Yes, there. important information. Yes. So again, let's talk about the other things that we need to limit, such as saturated fat and sodium and alcohol. Yeah. Saturated fats stayed the same in this update. It's less than 10% of calories. And I'll give this in grams since that's what's on the food label. For women, less than 15 grams per day and men, roughly less than 20 grams per day, if you want to keep track of that. Sodium was also the same, under 2,300 milligrams per day. And then the next one has to do with alcohol. Again, the advisory committee recommended that men should decrease alcohol from two drinks per day Mm. down to one drink per day. (laughs) And the committee added that alcohol isn't recommended for health promotion or prevention. So that's why they thought it should be cut back. Okay, well... I I know a few people in the state of Wisconsin that that's not going to sit too well with. Yeah, probably (laughs) not. This might be a case sort of like with sugar a little bit too, that if you make the recommendation too stringent, people will feel they're too hard to follow and just kind of do what they want. Okay. Now for me, I think if you're male and you're drinking two drinks per day and it isn't affecting your health, I don't see a problem with it. Right. The only thing I'd add here is just make sure you're actually sticking to two drinks per day. Right. (laughs) Yes, because if you listen to our Cheers to Your Heart podcast that we did, alcohol 
is a little tricky and what we think of as a serving and what is actually a serving can be very, very different. And for women out there, unfortunately, again, alcohol is even more harmful for us because there's an increased risk for breast cancer for ladies who drink. That's right. That is correct. So let's move on now to what's new then. And we know what's sticking around. So have there been some changes to these guidelines? Yes, I mentioned eating a healthy dietary pattern earlier, Mm -hmm. right? For the first time, Bethany, the U.S. Dietary Guidelines is offering guidance on dietary patterns for various life stages. Okay. Okay, so they're going across the whole lifespan. They've had recommended calorie levels according to age for quite a while now, but this is a little different, emphasizing nutrients of concern over the lifespan. Okay. We touched on this a little last week in our National Nutrition Month episode. So the life stages in the Dietary Guidelines are in Infant and toddlers, children and adolescents ages 2 to 18, women who are pregnant and lactating, adults ages 19 to 59, and then older adults who are 60 years and older. Okay. It's interesting that they added infants to the guidelines because, you know, I don't think of infants as really eating all that much. You know, like I don't have children, but I've worked as a nanny and I took care of little kids. And I'm thinking, okay, let's see, what were they eating in that first year? It's a lot of formula or breast milk, things in jars, (laughs) things in pouches. Yeah. You know, like I don't think of there being a lot of food to eat. Yeah. So you have a good memory. Okay. Because for the (laughs) first time, the U.S. Dietary Guidelines is providing nutrition guidance for infants. Before that, it was for anyone above the age of two. Okay. Okay. So they have information in there on breast milk and iron-fortified formula, right? And then it goes into six months to one year. It's recommended to introduce a wide variety of age-appropriate, nutrient-dense foods from all the food groups with a special emphasis on iron and zinc to really support growth and immune functions. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, infants only eat small amounts of food. So I'm thinking you want to make sure that what they're actually eating really counts as far as being nutrient dense and good and really kind of acclimating them to like a wide variety of things. There's a lot of stuff that they make for babies to eat. And kids are, when they're that little, I've seen kids eat things when they're a baby that I know for a fact a three-year-old is not going to touch with a 10-foot pole, (laughs) you know. Yes, that is true. This is a really important age to really introduce them to lots of those different healthy foods, Mm -hmm. right? Because it takes like that 15 to 20 times sometimes before they'll like something. And you have a little more control over it. You do. You do. (laughs) So get them to like that stuff when they're much younger. It'll be easier later on. The other thing that's new in these guidelines is the recommendation to introduce infants from six months on to potentially allergenic foods. Really? Yeah. To help reduce the risk of food allergies later on in life. Because for a while there, they were saying... Nothing. Right. Don't give them these things. And now they're saying, no, it's actually better for them to have it because their bodies will slowly adjust to it. And hopefully that'll actually prevent allergies later on in life. Interesting. Yeah. Now, if there's a family history of peanut allergy, though, talk to the pediatrician first to have a blood test or a skin prick done to rule out an existing allergy. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, women who are pregnant and lactating before, and it's really great to see this population get some specific advice. 
because I know when we spoke with Dr. Galatska, the cardiologist on this podcast, she's talked about the importance of women taking care of themselves during pregnancy in order to reduce risk for high blood pressure and diabetes that we can sometimes see develop during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And having these conditions while pregnant, then we know now, increases the risk for heart disease later on. So I'm sure healthy eating is going to play a big role in preventing these conditions that can arise once you get pregnant. Absolutely. I mean, this has been known for a long time. In Mm -hmm. fact, one of my first jobs was working at WIC, Women, Infants, and Children, and helping pregnant moms eat healthier so they could have a healthy pregnancy. Right. This is better for both mom and the baby. And even something like making sure iron stays adequate throughout the pregnancy means the mom is more likely to have a full-term baby. Yeah. Which, again, is important for both mom and baby. There's even more emphasis now on the importance of eating healthy during pregnancy and even before a woman gets pregnant. Yeah. Here at Advocate Aurora Health, we have OBGYNs recommending nutrition education before pregnancy, especially for high-risk moms-to-be. Okay. There's also research showing that the healthier pregnant moms are, the healthier their children are a decade later. Wow. I'm guessing this has something to do with my favorite topic, Bethany, the the microbiome. Yep. Yep. Since basically what the mom eats, the baby eats. Right. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. We'd love to spend time going through each of these life stages, but we'd be here forever. Mm -hmm. So for more information, you can visit dietaryguidelines.gov. And after that, if you have specific nutrition questions or considerations, consult with a registered dietitian because like we said in last week's episode, they are the nutrition experts. That's right. And if you need help finding a registered dietitian, you can go to eatright.org. And about two-thirds of the way down on the right side is a box. And it says, find an expert. Nice. You click on that, and you can find a registered dietitian by zip code and even area of expertise. And if you are in the Milwaukee area and are looking for a little bit of advice from Heather herself, you can always contact her through Karen Yant Center at aah.org. Yes. Now, I think I know the answer to this, but how well do Americans do with following the U.S. dietary guidelines? (laughs) I laugh because, I mean, I know it's not going to be great, that's for sure. Yeah, we don't do so well. (laughs) I know you're going to say that. Data on Americans' eating habits consistently show that we are not meeting the recommendations in the U.S. dietary guidelines. A scoring metric is used, and it's called the Healthy Eating Index. It's a score of 1 to 100. 100 is pretty much your meeting plus exceeding the dietary guidelines, okay? Okay. You want to guess what the average score is here in the United States, Bethany? Okay. I'm kind of, I'm pretty pessimistic. So I'm going to say it's going to be about 45. We're actually a little better than that. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. So since 2005, Americans have averaged between 56 and 60. I mean, that's not good, but that's obviously better than what I thought. It's better than (laughs) what you thought, but it definitely could use some improvement. Right. Now, adults over 60 actually do the best. They had a score of 63. Okay. And teens, 14 to 18, do the worst. Shocking. I know. I'm stunned. (laughs) With an average (laughs) score of 53. 
Honestly, though, that's not as bad as I thought it would be. Okay, okay. And then children ages two to four, who we, you know, usually think of as like, oh, they're picky and they go through those food jags. Mm -hmm. They actually do better than the average adult, believe (laughs) it or not. They get a score of 61. (laughs) Wow. Well, at least they're too young to lord it over the adults, right? Yeah, yeah. Most most adults have a score around like 56, 57, 58, somewhere in there. Okay, so how can we improve those healthy eating and scores. Well, this is probably going to be not a huge surprise, but the biggest areas of improvement are with eating more vegetables and fruits each day, right? The average American, I think it's like 10% of Americans are actually eating the recommended three servings of vegetables each day and two servings of fruit each day. So we have a long ways to go. These would be, again, these are super super healthy foods they pack in a lot of nutrition for very little calories plus right. you get all that fiber in there too so those would be good to make sure we're eating more of those when eating starchy foods it would help if we're choosing the whole grain versions over the refined versions right again so we're getting the fiber and some great nutrients and then what often shows up too is we're usually not eating enough of the beans, the peas, and the lentils. Okay. So it would help if we, you know, we're eating those a little bit more often too, about three days a week or more. And then the other really big category is cutting down on processed foods that yeah. have added sugars and a lot of sodium in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's wrap things up and try to end on a positive note here. That sounds good. <laughs> what are your key tips for people that are considering making changes to their eating habits? First, I would highly recommend aligning the changes you want to make to your values because you will be far more likely to follow them long term. In that fact, makes sense. Yeah, when we had on uh, Mike Rupsch to talk about um, stress management and resilience, I remember him telling me about that a while back too. So for example, I want to be in good health in the near future, certainly, mm-hmm. as well as when I reach those lovely golden years <laughs> when I retire. I want to travel and do fun things. And that is something I highly value. Okay. okay? In order to do that, I need to be in good health. Right. Right. For others, maybe spending time with family is something you strongly value. You want to be around to see your children and grandchildren grow, right? Mm -hmm. Keep reminding yourself of those kind of values, and it may make it easier to stick with healthier eating habits. Yeah. I can't guarantee, but... Right. Sometimes (laughs) it helps to think outside yourself in that respect as well. Yeah. My other big tip is to start small. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Too often I see people jump in and they change everything like all at once. That is called dooming yourself to fail (laughs) at that point. Right. And often, you know, there's not a huge plan to follow up with that. I'm just kind of I'm going to stop eating all processed meats. I'm going to go vegan and I'm doing it tomorrow. Right. But then they have no idea. They haven't thought about how they're actually going to do that day after day after day. Some people are successful with this, but I will tell you most people are not. Not Um, surprising. Yeah, I would start with one thing. Back when I decided I was going to eat healthier, I started with snacks. I cut out my evening snack that I didn't really need. And if I snack during the day, I just make sure I planned for that and that they were healthy snacks. Okay. Okay. Next, I switched to healthier breakfast foods. And really, for me, that gave like a good jump start to the day. I figured, you know what? If I'm starting off the day with mm. healthy things, I'm going to be more likely to continue to do that for the rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah. My third and last tip is, and this is important, don't expect to be perfect. 
What's that phrase, Bethany? I'm sure you've heard of it. Perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah. Right? You don't have to eat perfect 100% of the time. I think you need to say that again for people. You don't have to eat perfectly healthy 100% (laughs) of the time. Not even Heather eats perfectly healthy all the time. I do not. (laughs) Aim for 80 to 90% of the time. I don't know why we go in thinking like that's going to happen for some reason because that doesn't ring same, true for anything, though. It's the know? same reason we want to change our eating habits all at once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all or nothing. But if you're not expecting to be perfect, but you're doing pretty well most of the time, this is going to allow for a little flexibility and you can have some kind of fun treats here or there, right? Definitely. And when you do slip, because you will, because right. you're human and everybody does, you catch it quickly and you just get back on track as soon as you can. Yes. Okay? Well, those all sound very doable. So people, I just want you to check out Heather's weekly videos on our Karen Yant Center YouTube channel throughout the month of March. She's going to be talking about how to personalize your plate and make it healthy for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. She gives you a lot of really good ideas and you can just tweak them and make them your own. And that's the whole point of this month's theme is you can make your healthy plate however you want to make it. Yes, and you'll get a sneak peek as to what I eat as a dietitian. There may be some surprises in there. Maybe. I mean, people are always asking me about that. What do you (laughs) eat, Heather? So now you'll get to see. I hope the information on healthy eating inspires all of you out there to make healthy changes to keep your heart healthy now and well into the future. Remember to subscribe to our Karen Janssen or YouTube channel if you haven't done so already so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening, everyone. And as we always say, be the ruler of your own heart. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the Queen of Hearts podcast. Our podcast is recorded here at the Carignan's Women's Cardiac Awareness Center inside Aurora St. Luke's Middle Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more heart-healthy tips, recipes, and more, visit our website at www.carignancecenter.org. Like us on Facebook at Center and follow us on Pinterest. If you like what you hear, so and be sure to tell us. Until next time, be ruler of your own heart.